Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There are several ways you can construct a documentary on an artist. First of all, you can gather up a bunch of books written about them, along with any magazine articles and newspaper clippings and all the press releases you can find. Then you read everything, you make notes, and write everything up, which is fine. But books and magazines and newspapers can get dated very quickly. A more contemporary way would be to go online. Wikipedia is pretty good and getting better, but you're right to be skeptical about what you read. Information can be incomplete. It can come from suspect sources, from people with agendas and biases, and articles can be loaded with the dreaded citation-needed notation. No, no, the best way to construct a profile on an artist is to round everybody up, put them in a studio, and get them to tell their story themselves. But that can be really difficult, especially with a band. Beyond touring and recording schedules, everybody has their own lives and may even live in different cities. So putting everybody in the same place is often impossible. But it can be done. It took a while, but we did it. I have all four members of Billy Talent in one place, and they're here for one purpose, to tell their story in their own words. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Billy Talent, and this is how it goes, the first song from their 2003 self-titled album. Hello again, I'm Ellen Cross. This is another in an occasional series of ongoing history shows where I make the artist do all the work. Instead of me doing all the talking, I brought Billy Talent into a studio and had them go through their entire career. Singer Ben Kowalowicz, guitarist Ian Dessau, bass player John Gallant, and drummer Aaron Solowaniak. They've all got plenty to say. And the result is an unvarnished history of one of the biggest Canadian rock bands to emerge in the 21st century. It's a really good story, too, so it's going to take a couple of programs to get through it all. So, let's get started. And there's no better place to begin than right at, uh, well, the very beginning. Let's just start in Streetsville. So... Streetsville. Streetsville. 1993, <laughs> just yeah. much like your show. Oh, exactly. You <laughs> yeah. know what? This show started in 1993. Yeah. There you go. So, <laughs> very good. Point to Ian. <laughs> so, Did my homework. Have you guys ever had a lineup change? Never. No. no. Never. No. Never. That's that's insane. Yeah. There's been uh, some temporary things here and there, but this has been the band. Yeah. So we started in 93. You guys are in high school? Yeah, we're all in high school together. Uh, I had just moved to uh, to Meadowvale, and I met a guy named Trevor Bowman, who was playing in a band, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to be in this band, and I said, sure. Uh, and long story short, I was the drummer uh, in this band called uh, To Each His Own for uh, a minute. And one day I showed up to our friend's house, uh, Kevin Gormley, whose parents would let us jam in the basement. And I heard a guy playing drums and he was much better than I was. And so I went downstairs and I was like, who are you? And why are you playing the instrument that that's mine? You know? <laughs> uh, and it was Aaron. And then, uh, so I got the boot out of the band and uh, I got a call about a month or two later asking if I wanted to uh, sing backups in this band. And I was like, what? So I just wanted to be in a band, so I said, sure. I never had sung before, and then uh, met Johnny and, and Aaron, and we were in this band for a bit, and then the three of us decided to leave that band. Which was called what? 
to each his own. Mm. And we decided to go, uh, uh, we wanted to do some heavier kind of stuff and some different kind of things. And so we left and there was a guitar player in the school, uh, this guy by the name of Ian DeSaw, hey, <laughs> who uh, was by far leaps and bounds the best guitar player in the, uh, in the school and a lovely guy. And so we sat and spoke with him and he said that he wanted to hang out and that was... 90. Yeah, that was, uh, I was in a different band called Dragonflower at the same time these guys were in a band called To Each His Own. And uh, the first time I actually met you guys, well, I met John in classes before and Aaron in classes before. The first time I met Ben was actually at a high school talent show. There and, you go. Uh, it was Dragonflower and To Each His Own yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. So you were actually battling against each other. Uh, kind of, I guess we yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it have been a Jigabo Rock, maybe? No, it was before oh, it was a the talent show. Rock. Okay. It was an actual talent show. Yeah. Right. What band are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. To each his own. No, no, no. This, what John was saying. Oh, no, no. Jingle Bell Rock. We used to throw these Jingle Bell Rock uh, concerts at our school. And uh, it was Trevor Bowman and, and Ian and Ben were usually, and Aaron, were usually the heavy leads on these concerts that we would put at our school because we had no place to play. So we would fly her. And then do it all for charity and uh, daily bread food bank. Yeah, yeah, daily bread food yeah. bank. We get perishable foods and and we would throw these concerts every every year in our high school. And that was basically how we gigged at the, kind of at the beginning, all around uh, Mississauga, just throwing our own shows. Yeah, but sorry was, to get back to the. This was called uh, New Jack City Talent oh, Show. New, New Jack Swing. Yeah, New Jack Swing. Because yeah. that movie New Jack City just came out at that time, and so whoever organized it, I can't remember who actually. It might have been that star star guy. Yeah, I still have um, my limb in it. Um, <laughs> he had two rock bands on, and, and we were Dragonflower was one, and Two Each's on was the other. And I remember right before about to go on stage, I couldn't find my guitar amp, and I was like, "Guys, do you know? Do you see a guitar amp uh, missing anywhere?" And Ben was like, "Oh, I think our guitar player bored it to go practice," and that was my first meeting. With Ben, because <laughs> somebody oh, stole yes. your amp. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was it was Kevin Gorman yeah, t- taking my amp yeah. to go practice upstairs in the in one of the, uh, the religion room. Ironically, <laughs> yeah. so when did the merger occur? Shortly after so, that, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah. So our bands probably lasted a year each, and then around July 1993, we uh, yeah, I just uh, I got a phone call from Ben. Yeah. At one point, and he was like, uh, "Me, Johnny, and Aaron are." thinking of starting a new band, um, would you want to play with us? And uh, so they all came over to my, my parents uh, would let me jam in the basement. So they all came over and we we had our first jam ever. Yeah. That was in July, 1993. I remember the first jam, basically nothing productive happened. We just made noises and we sucked. <laughs> and I, I, I remember us three being a little like, oh, I wonder if this is going to work out. And uh the next jam, we ended up trying to do a cover song. We played Keep on Rockin' in the Free World, and we got through the whole song. And then that was kind of like, okay, we can do this. And it, it started working from there. Yeah. So how old are you guys at this point? 18? 17. 17, 17 okay. 18, yeah. So this becomes Pez. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, originally it was the other one. Yeah. Because we couldn't figure out a name. Yeah. For a, <laughs> yeah. For, so for a handful of shows, we were the, the other, other one. one. And then <laughs> Zigzag. That was for one show. For one show. Yeah. And then Aaron uh, presented Grand Theft Tomato. <laughs> I thought it was too much. <laughs> I would not laugh. Yeah, I mean that's that's Rainbow Butt Monkeys territory. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. And I think we settled on Pez because in my room I had a bunch of Pez dispensers all the time, and we'd always have like band meetings up there, and, mm-hmm. and it was just like 
we couldn't think of a name, so we're like, why don't you just call it Pez and add an extra Z so we don't get sued? Yeah, well, how did that work out? Very well. <laughs> Ironically, we, yeah, we ended up getting a uh, email when email first came about in 1996. I got an email from a guy, you know, representing a band called Pez from, on BYO Records in the United States, and uh, he just basically said we have. Records in Canadian stores, so you have to change your name. So it was another band, yeah. not the Pez people. No. Oh, no. so I always thought that it was the Candy folks that no. sent you the, the cease and desist. It was another punk band named Pez. Pez. Did we just ignore Records. it for years? Because We, we kind of ignored it for that. a bit, and then we knew we had to change the name. Yeah, but we kept that name until 99. And they were nice about it. Yeah. They were just like, hey, this is our band. Right. Stop yeah. it. Well, we didn't have a deal at that point. No, so we were like, we'll, we'll just keep playing. And at this point, you also have to keep in mind, and for the people listening, like, there was no real like internet at that time. No. Like, there was no way of really knowing unless you know yeah. you had to dig Well, you'd, really have to go to the, you'd have to go to the record, record store. store and yeah, and word of mouth and just hearing things, right? So, oh, I mean, that's how Nirvana yeah. ended up, oops, yeah. Yeah, you know, picking yeah. out the wrong name. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you're playing, you become kind of, I, I started hearing about you guys 97, 98, maybe, you were playing a lot of shows in and around the Toronto area, and you were becoming something of a, a, a an indie sensation, I guess. Is that too strong? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say indie sensation. Not that early. Yeah, we, uh, at that point, you know, we, we, we would, you know, in the beginning days, there was nowhere to play. So we would throw our own shows at the Masonic Lodge in Streetsville and... Uh, Kinsman Hall. Kinsman, Kinsman Hall. Hall. And more or less, we would just, you know... Uh, beg borrow to put down a deposit to rent these places out the the people didn't know what they were doing like the people that they were renting we were renting the place from and we would uh you know there's the classic story that we'd steal milk crates from behind like the local uh <laughs> uh IGA. You know, IGA and things like that and we'd keep them <laughs> we'd keep them in Ian's parents basement uh and then when we would have the show we would put the milk cartons together and tape them up and steal drywall from local like housing units and make our own stage. Mississauga yeah. was under construction yeah. everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Plywood yeah. at every corner. Yeah, we were picking up plywood. Like, yeah. Aaron's dad worked for Chrysler too. Borrow, so we yeah. bore these borrow large trucks and and basically not steal, but borrow, borrow. Milk, <laughs> we actually milk would crates and it, plywood and yeah. we'd go return it like, return yeah, after it. the show's done. Yeah. But they, you would they, return your plywood. Yeah, we yeah. would. And, yeah. So and there are houses in Mississauga that are made with former Billy Town <laughs> stages. Most likely. And milk crates that were used as stages at some point. I remember yeah. one time there was uh, like 500 milk crates in Ian's basement <laughs> and his mom cut, would come down and say, Ian, what are you doing with all yeah. these milk crates? My, Don't worry, mom. It's all good. And my she, whole, my parents' basement <laughs> reeked like, like rotten, rotten milk, milk. milk. Yeah. for about like three weeks. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. I used to work at a grocery store. I know that's yeah. 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 <laughs> like, like baby puke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to the earliest Pez recordings ever made, but first let's try something a little more current. This is the third single from Afraid of Heights. It's Time Bomb Ticking Away. Watching the time bomb ticking away. Watching the time bomb. Nobody cares till it's too late. Billy Talent and Time Bomb Ticking Away from Afraid of Heights. Okay, back to the days of Pez. Here's Ben, Ian, John, and Aaron talking about the first recordings they ever made. So Pez uh, actually records an album. 
or something. Oh, well, we recorded uh, a couple of tapes first. Yeah, there was a couple of tapes we recorded first um, in my parents' basement on Johnny's. He used to have a, a four track, and back then that was a hard thing to find, and and he had to task him four track. So um, we recorded our first four song demo in my parents' basement, and uh, we called it Demo Luca. And that was done in 94, and we used that to try to get shows downtown. So our first big break downtown was we gave this tape to a guy named William New who had the Elvis Mondays at the old Elma Combo, Monday nights. Downstairs, yeah. And, you know, like months went by, he never called, and finally we got a phone call on a Monday at like 6 o'clock, the last minute, he said, I had a band cancel at 9 o'clock, why don't you guys come up and play? And that, I think that was kind of what started our whole Toronto thing for four guys from Mississauga. Um, when he saw us, Jeff Rogers also saw us, and they kept, uh, Jeff had Handsome Boy records at the time, and uh, and William kept booking us, and, and we ended up doing a bunch of those Elvis Mondays nights, and from there we met so many other bands like the the Salads, uh, Flashlight, um, just a lot, a lot of Toronto bands, and, and we got into different circles and started getting other gigs. So we have Demoluca. Does that tape exist? Demoluca, yes. Does it exist it anywhere? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to find. You can find it on eBay now. Yeah, yeah. There was only a hundred copies made. Well, look at this from Demoluca. Here's Pez and Happy. Sometime in 1993, that's Billy Talent, then known as Pez, with a home demo recording called Happy. And we'll hear more of that kind of stuff when we come back in just a sec. This is part one of a show called Billy Talent in Their Own Words. I have Ben, Ian, John, and Aaron in the studio going through their entire career as they remember it. Let's go back to those early recordings when the band was still known as Pez. I'm and then we recorded the second uh, tape that we did was at a, a little bit of better studio. It wasn't on yeah. a four track. It was uh, Signal to Noise. Signal to Noise, yeah. In, in Toronto with uh, Dave Tedesco. Yeah. yeah. And that was another, that was a six song EP mm-hmm. called Dude Box, yeah. Let's sample that, shall we? This is the title track of Dude Box. Billy Talent, still known as Pez, with the title track of their second demo cassette, Dude Box. All right, what came next? Here's Ian. And then after that, we did... Uh, then we did the full length. Yeah, we did... No, we did another... F- oh, yeah, we did a full length. Yeah, with uh, Daryl Smith at Chemical Sound, and that came out And in Brad 19. Nelson. That was 99. Yeah, Daryl Smith and Brad Nelson at... Uh, yeah, chemical. So that was Watouche. That was Watouche. That was Watouche. And that one's still available. I think I have a copy someplace because I think you might have given me one. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but we, you know, that was a weird time for us because, again, we were, we're all working our jobs and, uh, you know, we finally felt like we were part of a community in the, in the, in the city. But, again, 
uh, now things are, are, are so, everything's just put into these little categories. But back in the day, like we would play with, um, you know, Flashlight Brown and they were like a punk rock kind of ska band. And then we'd play with like hard rock bands and we play, like there was no, it didn't matter necessarily what genre you, genre you were. It's just, you were part of this thing. You know, so every night you can go out and play with all these different kinds of bands. And that's why we never, our band never really fit in with like a scene because we were just part of, we'd play with whoever, mm. you know. Uh, but the, and then when we made Watouche, we actually had some songs. Um, we were trying to figure ourselves out, I guess, now in retrospect, in hindsight. But, uh, you know, we had a guy named Brad Nelson who uh, took, a, took a, a, a chance on us. And he had done the Headstones and had done all these kind of like, you know, bigger Canadian bands at the time. So it was a big deal for us. And he was working at a place called Tattoo Music. And uh, we would great, graciously... Great big, great big, big music. music. Yeah, sorry. Great, it's yeah. called Tattoo now. Now it's now, yeah. And uh, they, we would go and record at night when the studio... Because it was like a jingle kind of studio. But we would go record there at night for free. And actually, the first the first time we were making... <laughs> when we were making Watouche, we we walk in and... Uh, I, I, meant, I remember I was going to go get a cup of tea... And Alanis Morissette was standing in this kitchen, and it was just us and Alanis because yeah. she was friends with the owner um, Tim and Tom Thorny. Yeah. yeah, they were working with her at the time. And so, and she was massive at this time, right? Like this yeah, is after Jagged Little Pill. So this would be ninety eight, so ninety five. Yeah, so she's yeah. she's superstar, superstar. Yeah, yeah. selling and forty million records at the and time. And she we was just in the kitchen. Away. Yeah, and then she ended up coming in and like listening to our tunes and hanging out and was so cool and gave us good advice and made us yeah. spaghetti. And made us, yeah, made us yeah. some spaghetti. Anyway, that was a weird thing. <laughs> so, uh, so then when we finished this record, we, you know, we, we again on Aaron's credit card, we produced I think five hundred or something like that the first run. Yeah, I think we made uh, yeah five th- five hundred the yeah. first time. Yeah, and then you know we would try to get on to like Canadian Music Week and all those that kind of circuit. Yeah, and it ended up yeah kind of kind of working. It worked. Yeah, yeah it yeah. got reviewed and now and stuff like that for guys who had no label and did everything themselves. It did get out a little bit. Yeah, so we were pretty. You had no management either. At no time. management. Nothing. nothing. We didn't know what the hell we. were No, doing. we had we had like a handful of like temporary managers at the time. Yeah, um, that helped us out. Like Susan Jazvac. Yeah, Andrew uh, Lounsbury. Yeah, yeah, just people that These would donate that would their time literally and, to, yeah. to help us. This is Pez from the Watouche album, released on July 23rd, 1999. The song is Eminem. From 1999, Billy Talent, still called Pez at the time, with something from their full-length indie record, Watouche. The song is called Eminem, and it was inspired by a bunch of goth kids that used to hang out at the record store where Ben worked. All the guys had various day jobs back then. So in the real world, you guys had, had still had jobs. So oh, yeah. Aaron, oh, were yeah. You, when were you at, at Chrysler? Oh, well, I would, I would have been working at a, at a car auction at this time, and then uh, Chrysler would have happened... Shortly after that, like, yeah, 96. You're working on the line. Working on the line, yeah. Yep. In Brampton. Great job. Good good pay. What was your, what was your gig? <laughs> what were you doing? Oh, man, I would, uh, I would insert six screws every 46 seconds for 500 times a day at the bottom of a door that came up. I'd have, it was just, it was the craziest job I've ever done in my life because you just leave your brain at the door 
and you don't really talk to anyone. Sometimes you you make friends with people, but for the most part, you're just you're basically a robot. And six uh, screws, forty six seconds, and a and a and a torque wrench and a sticker, and you just do that all day. <laughs> well, we, well, for we, a hell of a paycheck though, because he paid for all of our demos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, I just we when we were making the 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 demos, I would just max out the credit card to pay for the studio time and then we'd eventually pay it back but we just needed money so and i had a credit card because yeah i had a job at chrysler so aaron was the only one with a credit card at this the point. Only one with a job <laughs> so you were the good yeah. job anyway. you were the yeah. billy he talent banker job. yeah <laughs> what were you doing Ian? uh at this point i was going to the ontario college of art and at nights and weekends i worked at a kelsey's uh as a, a line cook yeah and dishwasher on the line of Chrysler, on the line of Kelsey's. We yeah. both worked at Golden Griddle as busboys together, yeah. way, way back too. in the day. Wow. <laughs> Crazy, John. At that point, uh, I think I was at in Humber in '96 for music. Uh, I only did that for a year, and then I, I ended up uh, switching over to, and taking a business program through school, and then working, you know, trying to make ends meet that that way. It was where I worked uh, just like part time jobs. Ben. I dropped out. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. What year was that? What, what year are we on here? Yeah, that's another 90, thing, too. It depends on the year. I mean, I, 90, I was saying 94 to I was the king of part-time jobs. <clears throat> like, I worked at Second Cups. I worked at delis. I worked at a music shop. I worked at Music World. I unloaded airplanes for a long time. I, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, I was doing three, four jobs, you know, because by the time I was 17, I was kind of living by myself and living with my brother, so... To try to like pay for rent, I just did whatever was going. You know, when did you work for me? I worked here. Uh, well, this is kind of it. Kind of goes back into this weird, uh, you know, symmetry of of the universe. <laughs> of you know, I I was working at Mode Robes on Queen Street selling pants, and I remember uh, a guy named by the by the name of George Stromalopoulos. Uh, would come and see us play because we were playing at like Ted's Wrecking Yard and all these, we kind of became like the cancel band. So when there was like a, you know, uh, a Vaughn Matzil who was a big part of uh, our success in the early days, uh, she would book us at Ted's and if there was a cancellation, we would always play or, um, you know, Lasky at the, at the, at the Horseshoe, he ended up, we would, you know, play new music nights and do these kind of things. And then eventually George heard about us and came to see us play and we ended up kind of becoming chums. And I remember uh, watching the movie Office Space, and then the next day I went into Modrobes and I quit. <laughs> and I, I I called George and I said, "Hey, I want to get a job at, in radio. How do I do it? How, where would I start?" And he said, "Well, email this guy Phil Evans at uh, at the Edge." So long story short, I email him. I come into work, or I go I go to the interview. Sorry, and I sit down with him and I said, uh, uh, you know, he had like a stack of 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 resumes on his on his table, and he said. You know, when did you graduate from radio television? I'm like, I didn't. He's like, well, when did you graduate from high school? I'm like, I didn't. And uh, he's like, well, why should I give you the job? And I was like, because I'll work harder than anybody else. I'll come here early and I'll stay late every day. I promise. And I left and uh, thought to myself, well, that didn't go very well. And as I was walking home, he called me and said, you start Monday. And uh, he saw something in me, which was great. And then, uh, yeah, and then I would work for you. Uh, the morning show was Humble and Fred. You mm -hmm. were... I was in the afternoon. You were in the afternoons, yeah. And I would sit there and, uh, you know... I, was I should, should explain what, yeah. what Ben was doing. There was a desk. We had a storefront studio. Yeah. 
And that's where all the listeners came to pick up prizes Correct. and ask questions about the radio station. Yep. The radio studio was also down there out in the open. So anybody could come off Young Street in Toronto True. and basically assault anybody in the radio studio. <laughs> Correct. So there was no security whatsoever. No. So part of your job <laughs> yeah. was throwing your oh, body God. in front of me yeah. to protect me yeah. against the crack addicts that would come yeah. off. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Man, I'm not the biggest fellow in the world. But, yeah. <laughs> but he, he, he did work hard. And I remember Phil coming to me one day saying, you know that young kid, uh, the uh, oh, what's his name, what's his name, Ben something, um, he's he's quitting. I go, oh, that's too bad. He was a nice young fellow. We always used to go next door to Starbucks and get me coffee. Yeah, he goes, yeah he's got this band that, uh, you know, they're kind of like Rage Against the Machine and they, yeah. they, 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 they're going to make a go of it. And then, okay, well, Good luck, young yeah. Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow well. your dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and well, here we are. The Billy Talent backstory is so deep that all we've done up until now is talk about the years before they adopted the name Billy Talent. But now we're up to 1999, and it is time. That part of the tale starts next. This is part one of Billy Talent in their own words. I have Ben, Ian, John, and Aaron recounting the entire Billy Talent story. And we're finally ready to start talking about them as... Billy Talent. How the, did you? How did you end up getting signed after that? So there, there's there's a bit of a, oh, a break man. between uh, Watoosh. That's uh, like I don't know, late summer '99. Yeah, and Billy Talent doesn't emerge with an album until almost four years later. Yeah. So what happened in that four year gap? There's there's, one, there's one more demo. That's uh, it's the Green album, and it's like a four song demo, and we only made like uh, two hundred or two fifty. Yeah, not very many. I and know. we recorded. Basically, we kind of decided, okay, if we really want to do this, we, we really need to focus in on our sound because Watusha was just all over the place. It had all our influences and it was every song sounded different. And uh, we literally just kind of focused our sound into one thing. And uh, that was uh, that ended up being the four songs on the screen EP. And it was just called the Billy Talent EP. And it had a song called Try Honesty on there. I uh, cut the curtains. Um, how this goes. is how it goes. And Beach Balls. Yeah. And, and Beach, beach Balls. balls. And we recorded that out in uh, Burlington with, at the music gym with yeah, uh, uh, Justin Coop. Justin Coop. Yeah. Let's hear that. This is an early release of Try Honesty, and it's with this recording that the Billy Talent sound starts to come through. Try Honesty, Billy Talent from a 2001 demo. That's actually a CD that saved the band. But that was a dark time, though, as well. Because yeah, just prior to that, because that was yeah. a rebirth. Like, that CD, that, was, that green EP represented like, the rebirth yeah. of yeah. our band. How so? Well, Aaron had been diagnosed with MS. Yep. Um, which obviously threw us all and uh, for, for a loop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, especially Aaron, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, and for me, at, at that time in my life, I had to make the decision of staying at the good job that paid well and had benefits and, or, you know, I had these three guys saying, come with us, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this thing that we've always dreamed of doing. And that's a hard thing to grasp as a 24 year old man who's, you know, have my family telling me to do one thing and have my, you know, my brothers telling me to do one thing. So, but I had to do it. Like, I, I still remember the day quitting the line like it's it's not something that many people get to do in life is to quit such a good job with good benefits but I was really just chasing this dream of being 
a drummer. And it, it just meant so much more to me because I was going through so much hard stuff in in my life at that point. So yeah, it was a huge rebirth for, for me personally and, and the band. Very, yeah, ris- it was, it very risky, a, very brave. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really dark time. And, and then John had left the band for a few months. And then right after that, I was like, this is not happening anymore. The whole whole band's just, we've been together for seven, eight years. And, and I took a job in Montreal. Yeah, you were driving, <laughs> driving back and, and was, forth in Montreal. Yeah, so every second weekend I'd drive home and, you know, try to get rehearsals going and stuff, um, which ended up at one point just being me and Ben and Aaron occasionally. And then... Uh, uh, in Try on it, way in in Montreal, I started working on this song named Try Honesty, and came back and showed Ben. And it, at this point, it was just me and Ben working on songs, and and that song became like the kind of like the catalyst for a new era of our band. Mm-hmm. And everything kind of just went up from there. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like th- there was that from '99 to 2003. Ian and I went to uh, college and university. Ben went to college for a year. Aaron was, everything was just, it was just life happening in your early 20s. As everybody does, you start meeting girls and there's jobs and rent and all this stuff. And all that stuff pulls you away from your, from your band. And um, Ian was actually, uh, before you were working in Montreal before I left the band because it was one of those things where uh, he was working in Montreal and then we, he was coming back and they were working on, on music a lot, but it was just, Everybody, for me, it was things were just so hectic and uh, crazy trying to finish school and the band barely existing and same feeling like seven or eight years into it, like what's happening and and uh, and then uh, it was when he left Montreal and came back and started doing uh, he I think you were on unemployment or something, so yeah. it gave him a really good opportunity to work on music and uh, then they. They started. He started showing us these, or these guys started showing me the songs. Uh, Try honesty and cut the curtains. Like, wow, this is amazing. And then Ben suggested we change the band name, and everything just kind of came together all at once. And it did feel like a rebirth. And we got a new rehearsal space down in front in Sherburn over here, and we felt like a real band again. And was uh, yeah, definitely. It, it, I think one of the things that also made it feel like something could happen was because we started playing these CMW. Uh, these things and we got these amazing report cards like we so in 1999 we had a 93 percent report card so we made it into their like top 10 thing and then uh, 2000 we made it again we had a 94 and all of a sudden all these industry people started paying attention to us and if it wasn't for that i don't think much would have happened but they definitely helped out here's one more demo from the indie years there was a two-track EP released in 2003. The first song was Try Honesty, which we just heard, and this was the second. It's Living in the Shadows. Billy Talent and one of the very last things they'd released before signing their first record deal. Speaking of which, how did that happen? I remember uh, one day this uh, beautiful and amazingly powerful woman came in by the name of Jen Hurst. And Jen Hurst was working um, at uh, this one label, which is now defunct, which I can't remember. And I remember talking to her and her and I got along really well. And I said, uh, I'm in a band and cause she was around that time was Canadian music week or that type of thing. And, and I said, you should come check my band out. 
And she's like, cool. And she came and we played a 360. Yeah. And uh, uh, and she she really thought we were great and she saw something yeah. in us. But the label she was working for ended up kind of falling apart. And then she became the junior A&R girl at Warner Music Canada. Uh, and that was a big thing for us because yeah. then she ended up kind of coming to more shows and started kind of becoming, uh, you know, seeing something in us that we didn't see because we didn't know, you know. Uh, and then that kind of yeah, so that that was a big part of the of the story as well is is her yeah, belief. She, it was uh, I just remembered it was yeah. chartattack.com. dot Chartattack, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We yeah. got those reviews on chartattack, Chart and then Attack, Jen, yeah, Jen had yeah. come to that three sixty show, and, and it kind yeah. of that, yeah, that's, that's right, me is that's like right, the, yeah. It, we had like a lot going because she had something to show to you know her. That was a TSN turning like, point in a lot of ways. Well, yeah. And then she got yeah. that job at Warner, and they yeah. asked us uh, asked her who her top favorite indie bands in the city were that she would consider signing. And we were on the top of her list. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it got really weird. Yeah. We've gone through an entire hour with the guys from Billy Talent, and we're only up to the point where they're about to sign their first record contract. Next time, we'll start with the debut album and follow the band through the 2000s and everything that happened to them. And again, the whole group is here to tell their story in their own words. Hope you can join me for part two of this. If you want to reach me about anything, use alan at alancross.ca. You can check my website, which is ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every day and comes with a really nifty daily newsletter. We can also connect on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. Part two of Billy Talent, in their own words, next time. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 